If you're building a new house, one of the first choices you're going to have to make is choosing the site or the building lot. There are many factors which are going to influence your decision, which will vary based upon the type of house you're going to build. Is this a primary residence, a vacation house? Is it located in a subdivision? Is it in a rural setting or an urban environment? Are you looking for lots on the ocean or lots in the mountain? Today I'm going to cover some of the main considerations for when picking out your building lot. Hi, this is Chris Novelli from N3 Architecture and welcome to the Home Design Academy podcast where I help people understand design and construction so that they can make better decisions on their projects and communicate more effectively with their architects and contractors. Okay, so on to selecting your building site. As you begin to narrow down the selection of building lots, or even if you have that one perfect lot picked out, you must do your research before closing on the sale. This is very important. And the main goal of this research is to establish if the lot will generally work for your needs and if there are any restrictions which may prevent you from building. You should not start designing at this point or even thinking about your house design until the lot is purchased and a proper architectural site analysis is completed. The last thing that you want to happen is to become attached to a particular style or a particular layout or a floor plan just to find out that it won't work on the lot that you've chosen. A good design works with the specifics of the site and the specifics of the land and it's never designed first then plopped down in the in the middle of the site. And if there isn't a survey of the property you're going to need to have one completed before any design can begin. Plot plans or mortgage plans are not the same as a survey, which accurately locates your property lines, utilities, and other items. So before purchasing your building lot, the first thing that I want you to do is look into the zoning. Either you or your architect or your builder needs to at least complete a quick zoning analysis of the property before you purchase it. And it's really easy these days to to obtain copies of local towns or municipalities zoning ordinances most of them are available online and if not then just call the local building inspector and they'll point you in the right direction but some of the basic things that you need to know um, number one allowed use is the is the use even allowed I mean, single-family residential is allowed in most uses in in most suburban towns. But what if you want to operate a home business? Or do you have relatives that are going to be living with you where you need an in-law apartment or an accessory dwelling unit? Or what if you want to have a rental unit? Knowing what's allowed in your zone or in the zone that that lot is located in will help direct you on if it's the right purchase for you to make. And if those uses aren't allowed, you're going to need to understand the process of obtaining a variance through the local zoning board of appeals, and you might just end up having to live with the fact that your use or your one of your uses just isn't allowed. The next big thing you're going to want to look at in terms of zoning are the setbacks. 
the front yard setback, the side yard, and the rear yard. Now, setbacks are a dimension that's measured from the property line in a perpendicular direction, and it establishes a zone in which you are allowed to build within. Next, you're going to look at frontage, which is the length of the property along a public way. Now, if you're purchasing a lot that's already subdivided, most likely the frontage issues are have been worked out because the, the previous owner or the developer wouldn't have been allowed to subdivide the property if it didn't have the correct frontage. So, But it's still something good to check out and something good to know. The next thing you want to look at in terms of zoning is the building coverage, or sometimes it's called... FAR, floor to area ratio. So it's basically determines how large of a footprint you can have on the site. And it's also good to know that some towns will include your driveways and your sidewalks and your patios as part of that coverage and other towns will not. So you need to look at the definitions to make sure that you're thinking about things correctly. And then finally, what you want to look for in this quick zoning review is the allowed height and the number of stories and make sure that that corresponds with what you want to build. So before making that purchase, go through the zoning. Make sure you check the setbacks. Make sure you check the allowed height and the frontage and the coverage and the allowed use. Now, you might not have all the answers in terms of if what you want to build will fit within that setback, but you should at least have a good general idea of what of what you need. If you're thinking of a house that's 100 feet wide, but the property after you take off the side yard setbacks only allows you to build a, a house that's 50 feet wide, well then either you need to consider something else or you need to consider a different plot of land. The next big thing to look at when picking out your building site are the utilities and is a major concern. Is there electrical, water, and sewer services on site? If you're going to be looking at rural sites, you may end up having to pay a lot of money to extend these utilities out to your site. And, you know, maybe utilities aren't a primary concern for you. Maybe you want to live off the grid, which is perfectly fine. But it's a decision that you have to make and you have to analyze it to see if where the utilities are if they're available, and what it will cost to bring those utilities to your site. And just know that if there's no public water or sewer service, then you're going to be looking at putting in a well and a septic system. And additional tests and explorations may be required. I think you should call a local engineer who might give you some insights on what types of conditions to expect. And that's a civil engineer that I'm talking about. Next thing to look at is access. Accessing the site is obviously a huge concern, especially in undeveloped areas, just like the utilities. Are there roads which connect to your building lot? And if not, you may be responsible for installing those roads. How far away are the public roads that you will need to connect to? If there's no roads, you can bet there's no utilities. And you may end up paying more for the site access and the site utilities than you do for the entire construction of your house. So know that going in and be smart about things and don't purchase a a lot in a rural area where you need to extend a road and extend utilities and make that lot purchase before you figure out if you can afford those things. Easements are the next thing that I want you to consider and look into. An easement is a, a legal right 
for for someone to cross your property or access your property or even change things on your property within that easement boundary. And many of the easements out there have to do with utilities, whether it's gas lines, electric lines, etc. Other easements could include things for railroad, for town access, for public access to any amenity that's nearby, such as a, a beach or a pond. If you're buying a site, most likely any easements would be listed on the, the sale agreement, but I strongly encourage you to check in with your local municipal offices to see if there's any easements on that property. And if there are, then it becomes a decision that you need to make. Is it something that you can live with? How often are people going to be accessing that easement? And also think what may happen in the future. Before purchasing your lot, I want you to consider the type of soil and the topography. Is the site flat or is it sloped? Will fill be needed? Is there ledge or rock outcroppings that you need to deal with? The topography of your site is going to affect your future construction costs. Now, when you have ledge and rocks, it's going to make digging much more difficult. Steep slopes may allow for a walkout basement, but you're also going to need retaining walls and additional reinforcement inside your, your foundation. And the direction of the slope will also affect the orientation of the house. Flat sites are not always good either. You may need to, to bring in additional fill material to raise up the grade around your house to get the proper drainage. Also, you know, thinking about topography in location to the street and where you will potentially build your house. You don't want water flowing down towards your house. And if there's no way around it, you may want to consider another lot because you don't want to be 5, 10, 20 years down the line and having to continue to deal with water flowing into your house or flooding your house or, you know, you're going to be in the situation where you have to install um a higher quality waterproofing on your foundation wall and additional drainage around your house. Next, let's talk about subsurface investigations. Now, it might not be possible for you to complete all of this work before you purchase the lot, but you should at least look into it. First thing is bearing capacity of the soil. If you have soils that have a poor bearing capacity, you're going to have to to have different types of foundation systems which may cost you more percolation of the soil if you have to put in a septic system it's good to know that before you you purchase the lot and then after you purchase it's recommended that you not only complete those percolation tests but also complete borings in the areas where you plan to build your house now for those who don't know borings are completed by a geotechnical engineer which is an engineer who's dedicated to the science of soils And borings are holes that are drilled down into the earth that will give the engineers and give the architects data on what types of soils are present, which will affect many aspects of the design from the foundation to the drainage systems. And even if you have borings completed and all the tests look well, it's best that you set aside some extra money for your foundation, set it into a contingency fund just in case. So, story time here. Years ago, I was working on a multifamily development for seniors, and we knew that there was some ledge present on the site, so we completed two times the number of borings that we normally would, 
And these borings were completed all along the perimeter of where the foundation was going to be installed. Some of the boring logs uncovered some ledge, but most of them were okay. And with the top of the ledge that shone farther down than what our, fa- what our foundations would be. So we thought we were good. When it came time for construction though, the excavation contractor found out there was ledge all over the place and that the top of the ledge raised up and down and up and down dramatically, even over a short distance. So even over a distance of a, of a few feet, it would be way down here at one spot and then you go over five to 10 feet and then it would raise up a good 10 to 20 feet and into the foundation systems. So the end result was hundreds of thousands of dollars in additional excavation costs and the excavation had to be done carefully with small equipment because the site was in a densely populated area and no blasting was allowed or anything like that and large equipment couldn't be used so it was a very long labor intensive process and it just so happened bad luck that the locations of the boring holes hit those pockets where the ledge had dropped down lower so just because you have borings doesn't mean that you're not going to encounter problems that are unknown and unforeseen so other things to look at with when you're investigating the land and the soil are you know are there any bodies of water present or wetlands and if so you need to understand what the setbacks from those wetlands or the setbacks from the river front or the setbacks from the ocean you need to understand what those setbacks are because it's going to further dictate where you can build and where you can't build and then if you're near a a river or an ocean or anywhere where there's potential for flooding most likely your your homeowner's insurance is going to be much higher as well Now, if you're looking at a site and your site has passed all these tests so far, then great. Next thing you need to look at is the natural environment. Understanding where the sun rises and where the sun sets and having a basic basic understanding of that uh, and how it's going to work with the way that you want to live. Now, sometimes if, let's say it's an oceanfront site or a lakefront site, Uh, you may not care where the sun rises and sets because you're just happy to have that opportunity to purchase that waterfront property. But let's say if you're just choosing a house and a a lot in a normal subdivision and maybe there's 20 lots to choose from in this subdivision. If you know that you like watching NFL football on Sunday afternoons, but one of the lots or some of the lots have an orientation where the sun is going to be shining directly in your eyes of where you would normally put your living room during that time where you're watching football, then, you know, maybe you want to consider one of the other lots. So that's what I, what I talk about considering the natural environment based upon the way that you live. Take those things into consideration. Ask yourself those questions. You know, what am I going to be doing in the morning? Do I want to sleep late in the morning? Where would I normally put my bedroom on this lot? And is the sun going to shine into the to the bedroom and wake me up? Or maybe you like waking up early and, and you like getting, you know, a, a cup of coffee in the morning and sitting there and, and checking up on the news and you want that sunlight filtering into your kitchen and your or your dining room and you look at the lot and look at the, the, the solar orientation of that lot and figure out if that is even possible. And I know a lot of this is getting into more of a thorough 
architectural site analysis phase and a performance programming phase. But before you buy the lot, at least have a general consideration and a general baseline of from which to work with. Next thing to consider is homeowners associations. Some people like homeowners associations. They think that it keeps the neighborhood clean and up to a certain standard. And other people don't like it at all. Other people think that it infringes upon their you know personalities or it infringes upon what they want to do to their house or their property. Either way, though, you should know going in if there's a homeowners association and what regulations you're going to be subjected to comply with because you don't want to purchase this house with the, the, the grand vision of building in a certain style or in a certain way or living a certain life and then having your homeowners association come in and knock on your door and say you can't do that. So know that going in before you buy. And while we're at it, before you purchase, pay attention to the location and orientation of the neighbors around that lot and their proximity to your where your future house. And if you can live with that or, or if it bothers you. If you're looking at a lot and there's a house to the side where their living room faces directly into your property, then, you know, and that bothers you and you don't want other people looking into your backyard or into your living room or onto your deck where you want to enjoy a nice meal with your family, then, you know, purchase a different lot. Let's look at sidewalks now. Many newer subdivisions have sidewalks installed for community use. And if you're driving around and the neighborhood that you're looking to buy in has sidewalks, but your lot doesn't, well, guess what? The cost to install those sidewalks are going to fall onto you. You need to consider the various fees that you're going to have to pay not just in purchasing the lot, but being able to develop the lot. These are often called impact fees. And, you know, there's public services like water and sewer and electrical and etc. Um, and each new house puts an additional strain on those resources. And in order to maintain the systems, many municipalities will have fees required to make connections. So you want to connect to the water service? Guess what? You're going to have to pay a fee. You want to connect to the sewer service? Guess what? You're going to have to fee- pay a fee. You want to put a driveway in? Guess what? You're going to have to pay a curb cut fees. So know what all those fees are before you buy the house and make sure that it fits in with your budget. And if you don't know, a good place to start again is the local building inspector, you know, the first step would be to call them and ask them what sort of impact and connection fees you can expect. And you might have to call around to other departments such as water and sewer departments and maybe a few others. But start with the building inspector. It's always a good idea to establish a good relationship with the building inspector prior to you building. And that happens from the beginning. Next, let's talk about any clearing that you're going to have to do. Heavily wooded sites are going to require additional expenses to clear. Now, I would strongly urge you to work carefully with your architect and your builder and maybe consult an arborist and protect as many trees as possible, especially if they're old growth trees. What really disappoints me is when someone comes in and just clear cuts a a land and just wipes out all the natural vegetation and all those trees that are been growing for however many decades. So I say, you know, be smart about it plan for the the expense because you if you're working on a wooded lot then you will have to do some clearing but 
keep that clearing to a minimal and protect what's there. So let's talk about nuisances. Make sure to spend some time on your potential lot at different times of the day and at different times of the week to see what the differences are. Walk around the entire site at different times of the day. Keep a notebook to record your observations. Walk around the entire neighborhood and the surrounding neighborhoods. Drive around the greater community. Understand what goes on during the day, what goes on during the weekend, what happens at night. Know that you know if there's an airport nearby, you might be in a flight path. And even if you're there on site and no planes fly by, well, flight paths will change daily based upon the, the wind location. Figure out if there's any landfills or sewage treatment plants nearby, which you may end up smelling. Are there any major power lines nearby? Even smaller distribution lines, they may be upgraded in the future. another story here the neighborhood that I grew up in had miles and miles of woods around it and as kids we would play and we would build forts and we would ride dirt bikes and it was great and there was a medium-sized power line a distribution line not not like a neighborhood line where it's you know a pole at each you know corner of every house or every every plot for for the houses to get their power but this is more of a uh, medium-sized distribution line that would bring it from one side of the town to another and you know it didn't bother anyone no one could see it from their house it was sort of in the middle of the woods it sort of went right through the middle and no one could see it and didn't bother anyone and um, I ended up moving away but when I was an, uh, an adult I went back to the neighborhood to visit and I was absolutely shocked to see that the utility company at some point clear cut a giant path through the center of the woods created an access road that was fenced off essentially blocking off all the area that me and my friends played in growing up and they at least tripled the size of the power lines they were now gigantic and every single house in the neighborhood had to look out at these power lines so you know the point of the story If you see any power lines running through your potential site or near your potential site or even within a quarter mile of your potential site, just know that at some point in the future, they're probably going to be upgraded. And if they're going to be upgraded, they're probably going to increase in size. And you need to decide for yourself if that's something that you can live with. Getting back to the larger community, you need to understand what your daily commute to work is going to look like. Maybe you should even test it out. Test those that commute on different days of the week. Uh, understand the distance to grocery stores, to hardware stores, churches and schools. Any place that you're going to go on a regular basis, is there convenient access to it or not? Understand where the highways are. You know, Having a, a, a spot where it takes you 25 or 30 minutes to get to a highway is going to add that much onto your commute or wherever you're going. But you probably don't want the highway running right next to your backyard either. You should understand, is there going to be any future development? Consider the land around your site. Look around. 
study the property maps, study Google Earth. Think about the future. Is there any possibility that any of the land around this lot that you're looking at could be developed? And if it is developed, what do you think it would be? Is it going to be a subdivision? Is it going to be an apartment building? Is it going to be a shopping center? Think about those possibilities. And again, if you can live with those possibilities. And of course, no one can predict the future, but the last thing that you want to do is purchase this nice lot and build a house and 10 years later, someone comes in and throws up a shopping mall right next door. So as you can see, there are many considerations for choosing your building lot and you should be completing your research before you make the purchase. I really hope that you're working with an architect for your project, but if not, consider retaining an architect's service to complete at least a feasibility study for each lot that you're looking at. An architect can easily access this information and display it graphically for you to see, and they'll be able to guide you on if the lot is going to work for your needs or not. And yes, this will come at a cost. The architects are not going to do a feasibility study for free. But just remember, it's so much easier and so much cheaper to make changes on paper or to do an evaluation on paper than it is to to make changes during the construction period. So whatever small fee you have to pay to your architect to complete a feasibility study on two or three or five different lots will pay for itself 10 times over by you not having to get stuck living in a house that has problems or living in a house that's on a site where you couldn't build what you wanted to build. And having your architect or even your builder complete a feasibility study for you will arm you with that information that you need to make a smart decision before you purchase the lot. So that wraps up another episode of the Home Design Academy podcast. I hope you've learned something and enjoyed yourself along the way. Make sure you subscribe and you leave a review on your podcast player of choice. Visit n3architecture.com for more information. And please submit any questions you have to homedesignacademy at n3architecture.com. Once again, that's n3architecture.com and the email address is homedesignacademy at n3architecture.com. Thank you very much. See you in the next episode.